I, my realization was how like emotionally and spiritually safe I felt Mm. in the wilderness. And like, I think part of that realization came from like there being space for me to process and to, I don't know how to explain this other than it just felt like none of like my burdens were too big to be like held. Welcome to the Why We Hike podcast, where we explore the highs, the lows, and the whys for going outside. I'm your host, Ford Thunder Erickson, and boy howdy, that intro rhymed real good. Let's do some talking. What would you say, Ford? Cottage cheese? It's a very satisfying sound. Well, everyone, what what you were just listening to is not actually cottage cheese. What is it, Lauren Lala Peterson? Um, some homemade biscuits. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. So let me just paint the picture for all the people listening right now. Uh, we are in Lauren Lala Peterson's beautiful kitchen. It feels like perpetual eternal Thanksgiving dinner in here to me. And Lauren is making some homemade biscuits. And just, oh, listen to that. That sounds so great on here. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Can you hear hear it? Yeah. So uh, we're going to interview Lauren while she's cooking biscuits, because that was her request. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, thanks people for coming back. I've been slacking on the podcast for a while. It's hard to keep it going. It's hard. It's hard work doing this podcast, and I've only put out like one episode in like six or seven months, maybe longer. It has been a while. But I'm recommitting in 2023 to put out more episodes, everybody. So here we are. I think my first interview of 2023. And uh, Lauren Lala Peterson. What do you prefer me call you during this episode? Honestly, it doesn't, I, it doesn't matter. I feel like most people from the trail call me Lala. Mm. But in real life, it's usually Lauren. So mm. I guess the trail is real life. So Yeah. So when I call you Lauren, does it feel kind of like I'm just like you're getting in just trouble? A normal person. Do you have a middle name? Bedford. Really? <laughs> yeah. Lauren Bedford. Can I call you Bedford? Wait, yeah. it's kind of like my name because my name is Ford. Yeah. It's like the most hoity-toity white name. Lauren Bedford Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Anyway, well, it's great to be here with Lauren while she's cooking biscuits. Uh, she's got a very... I'm very excited for this interview, actually. Um, for a lot of reasons, uh, Lauren La- Lauren Bedford Laha Peterson <laughs> the fourth, <laughs> the fourth. <laughs> has... Uh, has has a lot of experience in the outdoors in a lot of different ways. So one unique perspective that off the top of my head, I don't know if I've gotten yet, I don't think, has been that, you know, a lot of the people who've been on the episode, a lot of things we've talked about have been wilderness therapy oriented. And I don't think off the top of my head that I've had somebody on the epi- on an episode who has the experience of being one of the young people going through program experiencing wilderness therapy most of it has been from the staff 
perspective. Um, but Lauren's got a very extensive history with that, but then it doesn't even, that's only the beginning. So Lauren's got a pretty extensive history with that, even more so than most people, uh, because you went through twice. Am I correct? Correct. So yes. you did it twice and then it doesn't even end there because it, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Yeah. I'll correct but you. not only did you come back and work for the Anasazi Foundation as a trail walker for, I don't know, a couple years or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then now you've come back recently and now working in a different role, but still out in the field as what we call a ridge walker. But even before that, I remember you were doing something out near the Wind River Mountains. And I remember yes. you, because you were teaching us one time, like five years ago, about LNT principles. And I was like, whoa, she sounds so cool calling it LNT, leave no trace. And I was like, wow, I remember thinking that. Because you were doing something and something out there to do with mountains or something. I went to school for outdoor ed. Oh. And Sorry, I keep yelling. Your roommate's probably asleep. No, that's she's filling out a med school application. Oh, so okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe more important things. But no. Um, yeah, I went to school for outdoor education and um, did a lot, focused a lot on LNT principles mm-hmm. and how to kind of coexist mm. with nature while you're out there. Yeah. 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 So, so many fascinating perspectives. And even before we started this episode a little bit ago, she was just talking about how with her new position, sometimes you're alone out there in the wilderness for days. And one time she was just talking about, she was out for five days without seeing another human being. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, I don't know if I have ever gone 24 hours not interacting with a human being. I don't, maybe, let alone five days, and I'm kind of a social creature as well. So anyway, Lauren's got an amazing perspective, and uh, so I wanted to get some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to jump right in here. Jump in. And we're going to go heavy. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's do that. All right. You ready for this? Yes. All right. I don't know, but here I am. So. (laughs) Well, what? So, Lauren, so uh, the first time you were brought into Anasazi as a client. Yes. As a young person. So many questions there. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> Basically, how about I'll just keep it a vague question. A vague question. With that, because there's so so much there, and I kind of want you to just tell that story from what you remember. Yeah. Like, why? Like, did you know you were coming out? Yeah. yeah. Why? What was going on? Whatever you're comfortable sharing. And, like, what was your reaction to, oh, you're going to spend two months in the woods? Yeah. So, I grew up spending time outside, um, for a while, my family lived on a cattle ranch in Texas oh, and yeah. And so the outdoors were something that were comfortable for me. But, um, when I got into high school, I took a little bit of a different path and journey and, um, started partying and using drugs and, um, drinking to cope with some sexual trauma that I had had in middle school. And 
it kind of got to this point where like I went to a psychiatrist and a therapist and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, since that time, the diagnosis, I guess it doesn't really stick. It changed. Um, I don't really believe that that's what was going on. Um, but pretty much like I had totally screwed up my nervous system and I was going through periods where like I would be incredibly depressed and I like wouldn't get out of bed. And then like, sorry, the oven's telling me that it's ready for biscuits. Um, the biscuits look great by the way. Wow. Oh, thank you. And, uh, and then would like go into times where like I literally wouldn't sleep and would just like stay up and do crazy things. Like one time, yeah, like one time I decided I wanted to buy a dog. So I like, I went to my mom's place of work and took her wallet and found a dog on penny saver and bought it for her. Oh wow! Proceeded to bring it home and, uh, give it to my brother and say, all right, I'm going to hang out with my friends now. And anyways, my mom wow. still has the dog. Her name's oh, Lydia. Wow. She's old and decrepit, but, wow. um, but <clears throat> basically going through these cycles, um, pretty like unstable, had a really poor relationship with my family. Um, and I was like exhausted. Like I was just like so tired and I'd kind of gotten into like a little bit of trouble and wanted to, um, get out of town for a little while. Nothing like, nothing like legal stuff, but just like some people that I had been hanging around. And I came home one day, it was a Wednesday and I told my mom like, Hey, I really don't like, I, can I go like stay with someone like a grandparent or like a aunt or uncle or like a friend or something? Can I just like get out of town for a while? And my mom was like, well, I feel like, you know, I'll need to talk to people. I'll need to figure it out. And she was like, how quickly do you feel like you want to leave? And I was like, soon. And so she was like, all right. So she started doing some research online. I didn't really like realize what was going on, but she'd started to doing some research online. Mm -hmm. And she basically told me on Thursday, the next day, like, Hey, I found a place for you to go. Um, it's temporary until we can figure out someplace that you can go like mm. be with family. <laughs> and she kind of like explained it to me a little bit that I would be like outside in nature, but she certainly didn't say that it was a seven week long therapeutic program. So anyways, Friday morning woke up, we drove there. And as I was getting out of the car, she said, all right, like, if you think this place is horrible or you don't want to be here, just write me and let me know. Mm. And, you know, we'll see how long it takes to find another place for you to go. Anyways, got into Anasazi, wrote her all the letters telling her that I wanted to go home uh, and that it wasn't a good place. And yeah. she was like, nope, you're there for seven weeks now. So, wow. yeah. Dang. What was your initial reaction to... Like, what do you remember from being like, I'm going to be outside for a long time? What was your reaction to that? Um, I think like initially I felt very trapped. Mm. Like a lot of kids do. Like I felt like, oh my God, I have to get out of here. Like, I don't know where I am. Mm. 
they don't tell me anything. I don't even know the time. Like, yeah. I'm eating this horrible food. I don't know these people. Um, and like feeling very trapped and like I didn't have choice. Um, and then eventually like settling into feeling like a sense of safety and security and that like I did end up getting out of the situation that I had wanted to get out of. Like your situation back home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of things that I like didn't have to like think about or like mm-hmm. worry about. And so, and I just enjoy being outside. So that aspect of it was really nice. Mm. Yeah. But it took me a little while to adjust. What, what was your experience like? Like, so you, you had all this, leading up to it and then you're out there and you're feeling trapped and you said you kind of eventually started settling in. Yeah. And what, what was kind of the meat of it? Like, what was your experience like? What do you remember? So I got there and they like, I guess I found, I found this out later, but I got there into the, out of rabbit stay out of like the initial first weekend and into the band and there was one girl who was leaving that day on family camp. And then it was just me. Oh, and really? so I was alone really? for two weeks, I believe. Really? Yeah. It was just me and like two trail walkers Whoa, for two weeks. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And, and I didn't know, but there was a whole other girls band, but it was like kind of, and at the time they like called it girls band, but there was like a whole other girls band, but they were trying to kind of like let it like, hate to use the word die off, but like (laughs) there was like some toxic stuff going on and, Uh, and they didn't want to, they wanted to start anew. mm. And so I was that beginning of the new group. Um, yeah. And so I was alone. The girl who was there did not like me, but she was only with me for like a day. So it wasn't Uh a big deal. And then, um, I was alone for a while, which was honestly nice because by the time and anyone new came into the band, I was already like, okay, I've been here for two weeks. Like I'm not leaving. Mm-hmm. I've accepted that I'm here. Like might as well make the most of it. Yeah. And then two more girls came in and I became very close with one of them. I was 17 and she was 17 and she came in with, I think someone who was like 13 or 14 mm. and they kind of just like meshed in. I think I was like, yeah, this is the way that it is. And they were like, okay, this Mm. is the way that it is. Mm. But one of the girls brought out like a straightening iron or like a curling iron or something. Yeah. Her parents had told her that (laughs) she was going to like, like it was in cabins and camping and stuff. And she like didn't want to let it go. And, but it was good. And it was just the two of the three of us for a while. And then I think we, we ended up getting this one other girl who, there's like some funny stories with her and just like our band, but Mm. it was a good experience. Like the, the, we were all really close and, Mm. um, yeah. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, are there any experiences you remember from that first time through that were impactful or meaningful you think of like maybe turning point moments or anything like that that you can think of? Um, I think there were like a couple of things. There were like a lot of factors in that time period for me. Like my parents got separated Mm. when I was on the trail. Oh, really? And yeah, the first 
first time, I believe, mm. when I was on the trail. And so that was kind of something that was going on. And then also, I had never talked about my sexual assault before with wow. anyone, like ever, maybe like one friend, but like mm. had never talked about it. And I didn't start talking about it until later on in my time, wow. the first time that I was there. So I think I had a trail walker and I remember talking to him about it for the first time, which wow. was also kind of weird that he was a guy, but, yeah. um, shared with him. And I think that's when like my journey at Anasazi really started because like, all of the other stuff, like all of the behavioral stuff and the like mental health stuff that I had been struggling with, I think really came f- like after that, mm. like, I've always had a little bit of anxiety, just an anxious gal, <laughs> but <laughs> like everything else that I had been dealing with was like came on after that, I think is like my body's response to like withholding this thing that had happened. Mm. And so the biggest turning point for me was like when I started talking about it and then was able to like process with my shadow and like do all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was a big one. Wow. Yeah. Well, were you about to say something? No. Okay. Other than like, I feel like it's hard to remember, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Well, how would you answer this question? Because thank you for sharing that, by the way. Yeah. I appreciate that. Of course. Um, so I feel like someone could say, and maybe justifiably so, they mm-hmm. could say like, that's, that's really, that's amazing that you were able to do that and have that big breakthrough, you know, mm-hmm. as hard as that must've been. Um, but someone could ask the question, they could say, well, it seems like that could have happened and they might be right. And you wouldn't need to be out in the wilderness for two months. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like what role, if, if there was one, I don't know what your experience was like, you know, be spending all that time in nature and for anyone who doesn't quite understand what is happening when you're out on the trail at Anasazi or most other wilderness programs that I'm aware of, you're, you're not like in a cabin or anything like Lauren said, like you're, you are out there, not even with a tent, you know, for a long time. So you're very immersed. What role do you think, if any, that played in some of your healing or your ability to, I don't know, like in comparison, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. If someone was like, well, you could have gone to like a residential treatment center. And that's true. You know, and probably yeah. done some good. But do you feel like spending that time in nature played a role? Absolutely. And how so? Yeah, for me specifically, which is something that like, so after Anasazi, I went to two other treatment programs as mm. well. Um, and I don't view it as that Anasazi didn't work. I think that it was like the first step of my mm. healing journey and like, like obviously still on that. We're all still always on our journeys, but, um, I think it was a really amazing investment in my future. And my parents were like gracious enough to give me the opportunity to like start on this path. Mm-hmm. But sorry, I thought I saw the. I thought I saw the javelina. <laughs> We're trying to wait for some javelina to appear outside of Lauren's window. There's a baby so. javelina that lives in my yard, and it's the size of like a tiny kitten. It's very sweet. <laughs> I saw a picture of it, and it's very cute. 
Um, if you don't know what a javelina is, it is a small wild pig type of thing in Arizona. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, no, I got distracted. Um, but something that I have experienced throughout my life, and it's particularly with um, having sexual trauma as part of my past, is feeling... Um, trapped or restricted or constrained Mm -hmm. like not necessarily physically but like even like more like emotionally or like metaphorically like you can't like leave here and so although like I did experience that a little bit when I first came to Anasazi um for me and I don't think this is every wilderness I mean this isn't every wilderness therapy program Mm -hmm. but no one was forcing me to do anything, right? Mm. Like at home or even at other programs, like other programs that I went to after Anasazi, like there is a time that you had to be up and out of bed. There's a time that mm. you're supposed to be in your room at night and then they lock the door. Like there's a time, like you aren't allowed to leave the house mm. in certain like phases of the program. Like you have punishments if you do something and I think Anasazi particularly, and also being outside where there weren't any like physical bounds, like mm. hold, with holding me in and staff weren't taking things from me when I didn't want to do something or was like, mm. you know, misbehaving or no one was saying like, oh, well, you have to do this. You have to do this. It created like a really... um safe container to meet for me to feel like, like I have autonomy and I have like the, the ability to choose what I want to do. And mm-hmm. it's like a safe place to do that. And so part of that I think speaks to Anasazi, but also just like nature being in nature in general, like yeah. obviously there are things like weather or, you know, there's a huge river that you can't cross or whatever. Maybe you can't get across it, but yeah. like, um, I don't, it just felt very safe mm. and like, no one was like forcing me or pressuring me or judging me or like whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I would have gotten that at least, like, I can't speak for every program, but at least looking at the other two programs that I went to after Anasazi, like I did not get that there. I did mm. not feel safe there. Mm. So I love that because I, I feel like probably I can only imagine as a kid coming out there and I feel like for a lot of the general public, and I think Anasazi says it on the website that they, this is, you know, the program where we work way out into, in the wilds, Mm -hmm. it's a safe place for healing. I think they use those exact words. Yeah. Some the word safe at least is used. And and I, multiple other people on the podcast have mentioned that, like the moment they realized they were safe out there. Yeah. And that's even been a journey for me, and I feel like still is kind of. And I don't know, I, I would like to hear a little bit more about that, if you can remember. It's been yeah. many years. But do you remember a time where you you realized that you were safe out there? Because people think about nature and you go out, go out there and probably even as like staff, when you first go out there, like, yeah. Oh no, there's storms and bears and snakes. And, and yeah, like all these scary things and all those things are there. Yeah. But then at some point, 
lots of people have had the realization. Or I don't know if you know Tamara Hyde. She has an episode on here and she talked about that where she was like terrified her first few days. And then she just yeah. had this like spiritual awakening where it was like she realized that she's far more safer out oh. there than she was at home. Yeah. And that was such a comforting like blanket of assurance for her. Yeah. And that that's what, what her saying that reminded me of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to. If you can remember anything about that, I mean, it's been on, but really putting you on the spot. So no, if you don't, I, I, don't, don't worry about it. I think I maybe should like think about that, but yeah, really. I do know like even like more than like more than just like feeling safe, like physically, I feel like I, my realization was how like emotionally and spiritually safe I felt Mm. in the wilderness. And like, I think part of that realization came from like there being space for me to process and to, um, and I don't know how to explain this other than it just felt like none of like my burdens were too big Mm. to be like held you know, like it, there was a safe place to like release and let go. And yeah. like something that always really stuck. I don't know if this isn't in the seven paths, but something that I heard at Anasazi and maybe this is in the seven paths and I can't, I've read that book so many times. I've, Just to clarify, if you don't know what the seven paths are, what is the seven paths? The seven paths is a piece of literature that Anasazi uses. It's yeah. a, it's a, story about the journey of a man who runs away from his people and spends time alone in the wilderness and then eventually returns, um, turns his heart homeward and goes back to his people. But, very good um, that was great. (laughs) But how like the trees, is that a cat or a javelina? What is that? Okay. Wow. Weird noise. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing, but something. But how like the trees and the rocks and the cliffs and and everything that's out there has seen like every human emotion and has mm. felt and has like experienced and heard like all of it. Like that nature has mm. been around for so long that everything that we go through is like very familiar in like the mm. natural environment. And so um, and like, actually like how we're living now is so disconnected from how we lived for so long. But I think at some point, like I just real, I can't think of like an exact moment, but Mm. I just realized that like, I felt very emotionally safe. Um, Mm. and I felt like held and protected in a way that didn't feel like restrictive. Mm. The walls are gone. The walls are gone. Even the walls of a tent. Yeah, but, like, you can, like, carve out your place under, like, a little juniper tree and feel, like, Mm. safe and held and protected without, like, being enclosed. Yeah. Yeah. You're, like, but you're still, I don't know. There's so much you could talk about with this topic. This is kind of cool. But, yeah, even, it's it's like a balance the way you just described it, like sleeping under a juniper tree and you mm-hmm. kind of like make your little spa under Damn the juniper right. tree. And so you, you are like held and protected, but at the mm-hmm. same time you're out there and open and connected, which mm-hmm. 
helps you be open mm-hmm. and be connected and then heal kind of in a way just like symbolically but it yeah. like weirdly does actually do that for you oh yeah when you have this balance of being protected being held by nature but also you're out there in it kind of vulnerable in that way yeah i don't know that's cool these are some good thoughts yeah which i i don't know my brain just went to like i feel like that feeling is like what maybe it feels like to be in like a safe relationship or friendship or like have something that's like healthy and safe is like where you feel held and loved and protected, but you also have like space and freedom Mm -hmm. to like be your own person and do your own thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously consequences to certain actions, but you know, I don't know. Mm. Well said. All right. Well, I want to fast forward, Lorena. Hello, Krista. Krista. Hi. All right. We took a brief break to work on the biscuits, but here we are. We're back for round two. Yes. Um, Lauren's worried that this episode is going to be boring, but all you people out there, make sure you message her and tell her this episode was not boring. Okay. That's my commitment to you all. Anyway, only if you actually didn't think it was boring, though, no, because then I'll, you know, uh, trust issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I want to know now. So we went through your first walking at Anasazi, mm-hmm. and then you went through a couple different treatment places after that. But then hmm. you did come back as through, a staff through Anas. Did you, did you go to Anasazi twice? Yeah, clients. Yeah, but it, they. Um, I went um, from July until like end of July until September, and then I came back same year in November. So like three, oh, pretty three, close. Like, yeah, like three weeks later, oh, wow. or so, three or four weeks later. Really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't realize it was that close. Mm-hmm. Holy cow! So, like, part of the reason why I went home after seven weeks the first time or when the program was over is because of everything that was kind of going on at home. Um, Realistically, like in hindsight should have stayed longer, Mm. but in that, you know, mindset, you're like, Oh, I want to go home. I just like want to go home. Um, Also went back to the same exact environment. And so fell Mm. right back into a lot of different things. And so, um, my mom pretty much approached me and was like, Hey, this isn't working. And I was like, yeah, this isn't working. And she was pretty much like, do you want to go back to Anasazi or do you want to find another place to go? Hmm. Some of those places were therapeutic boarding schools. Primarily one that sticks out where in my memory was one in Cedar city, Utah. Hmm. And I was just like, Hmm don't really think I want to do that. <laughs> and I knew what Anasazi was. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll go back. Also thinking I was going to save myself a little bit of time, like go to a therapeutic boarding school for six months or a mm. year or go back to Anasazi for seven weeks. Yeah. So, and it was like an interesting process. Cause I conscious, like I made the decision. Did I make the decision that I wanted to go to another program? No, but I kind of got to choose where I went. Yeah. And like, I remember having a conversation with my shadow because they let me have the same therapist for the second time. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay, like you have to commit to like really being here. If you're coming back, 
you have to commit. Like if, if you're choosing to come back here instead of going somewhere else, you need to make a commitment that you're really going to like put forth effort and like work through and talk through some of the things that you mm. haven't wanted to. Yeah. Cause my relationship with my mom was in a much better place after the first time. Like mm. my, my, the journey that I had on my second time at Anasazi was more like centered around my own personal work mm. that I needed to do that I didn't really want to do. Yeah. Cause it's hard. And so, um, we came back to Anasazi after like three weeks. Mm. So it was like 14 weeks with like a three week break in wow. between That's crazy. four week maybe. And then, um, my like second to last week after my second time or during my second time, um, got a letter from my mom that was like, yep, you are going to a program after this. You are not coming home. Wow. And so they sent out pamphlets of places and they let me choose where to go Mm. after Anasazi. So I went straight into another program after my second oh, wow. time. So it was like almost a consecutive year in treatment. Wow. Yeah. Dang. So what would you say to someone? Once again, I keep playing like the devil's advocate mm-hmm. person who may hear that and be like, well, it seems like going to Anasazi didn't work, you know? You went there, did all the things, spent all the time in nature, Mm. but then you went home and like things just weren't good. Yeah. So it didn't work. Um, What would you, what would you, (laughs) Lauren's roommate's hacking up a lung back there. (laughs) That's okay. I don't care. Hang on. I pulled the biscuits out, but that was funny. (laughs) Got to pull the biscuits out of the oven real quick. Wow! Don't and don't no worry, everybody. Baking. We're gonna eat a biscuit live on the podcast. <laughs> so stay tuned for later. <laughs> I'm excited to hear the hacking in the background. Oh yeah, that was funny. Um, uh, we're talking. About, oh yeah. So devil's advocate. Yeah. What'd you say to someone's like? Well, it seems mm-hmm. like you going to Anasazi, spending all this time in nature. Yeah, that sounds great. Blah blah. blah. Seems like it didn't work. Um, so do you think it works? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is actually like one of my favorite things oh. to talk about. And I'm in grad school. Mm. I'm on a leave of absence from grad school at the moment to come back. I came back to work at Anasazi, but something that has arisen in, um, in grad school and in undergrad, I went for psych and women and gender and sexuality studies. And then I'm now for social work, but I have focused on like writing papers about the like efficacy or the like effectiveness or the, you know, success rate of treatment programs. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to, come up with a description of what outcome would be, you know, Mm. labeled successful. And truly, I think that the way that we view treatment is super faulty. Mm. Like, I don't know, 
humans aren't like a car. You can't take mm. them to an auto shop and fix them. Just put you it know? in a new part and then it's... Put in a new part and call it a like, day. Yeah. Like, hmm. I think that the whole idea that treatment... Maybe when you're talking about treatment for substance abuse or alcoholism or whatever it may be, that's a little bit easier to say it's successful. Even things like, okay, maybe someone has um, a mental health challenge and, you know, are self-harming or, Mm -hmm. you know, are having hallucinations or whatever it may be, you know, is, is a treatment successful? Are they still having those at the same rate that they were before? There are ways that you can kind of like say, okay, that was successful or that wasn't successful. But as far as like, sending a child or an adult for that matter to a treatment program and being like, yes, they are going to come back fixed Mm. or these challenges aren't going to be challenges anymore. I just think that that's like a very faulty way of thinking Mm. because we're so complex and we are like made up of all of these experiences that have led us to where we are. And so I think that Anasazi and that wilderness therapy was success. It was a success for me, or it was beneficial to me because I learned coping skills. I learned that I could do hard things. I learned how to communicate more effectively. Mm. I learned a lot about myself. I learned what it felt like to live without substances and that I could do it. Mm. I learned about different relationship dynamics and how to coexist with people that maybe I don't like that much or we don't get along. Hmm. Um, I learned how to connect with people who come from very different backgrounds than I do. Um, I learned that I am strong enough to talk about difficult things. Um, I, I mean, I feel like the list goes on and on of like what I learned and how I grew. Yeah. Um, And for those reasons, I think it was like incredibly successful. I just like Mm. think that I like to, whenever I'm talking to parents or families or even kids, either coming out of the field, like they're leaving the program or they're thinking about going into the program or any program for that matter. I just like think reframing our idea of what treatment is. And like what the outcome should be is really important Mm. and looking at it more as an investment into your future Mm. and a step on the journey to healing or alignment or betterment or Mm. whatever you're seeking out of it. Yeah. Because there are things that I gathered at Anasazi that I didn't really like fully implement in my life or even awaken to until years later. Mm, I've heard you know? that. Yeah. I've heard people say that. And so even like, I mean, if you asked my parents, my mom raves about Anasazi, like she loves Anasazi. She thinks that, I mean, she loves what Anasazi did for me and did for our family. And she talked about one of her hardest journeys through my entire like struggle with trauma and mental health and substance issues 
was letting go of the idea that I could be like fixed or that my problems would just go away. Mm. Like her, the, that release was the most difficult thing for her. But once she was able to do that, she saw the growth, even the little growth, you mm-hmm. know, that I made in every step, like every step of the way. Mm. But I don't know. Yeah. So I would probably say to people who said, well, then it didn't work. I would say, well, I'm, yeah, like I'm not an object that can be fixed Mm. and changed. Like I'm a dynamic and complex person and like, it's a journey. It's not like an end all be all, you know? Yeah. But I love that. Yeah. Well said. That was great. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Um, so what, what was your experience like several years after that, coming back and working as a staff member on the other side of the coin, it spending was, time out in the wilderness doing that? Yeah, it was good. I didn't necessarily expect to come back. Like, I think maybe there was a thought of like, oh, I really enjoyed this. And Anasazi opened my eyes to... I think not right after, like after I left Anastasia, I struggled a lot and, mm-hmm. um, went to the transitional living home after Anastasia. And then after that, like maybe eight months after that, I went to a rehab facility and mm-hmm. that was the last treatment program that I went to inpatient. Like I mm-hmm. continued on in therapy for years and still am like in and out of therapy, just depending yeah. on what's going on in my life. But, um, Anastasia, made me realize that I wanted to do something that worked with people and that was outside. So I decided to go to school Mm. for outdoor education in Wyoming. And I did that. Um, And then was about to turn 21 and was like, I don't know (laughs) what job to do. So I might as well just go back Mm. Um, and came back to Anasazi. And it was like, it was hard. It was Mm. hard to make that transition, I, not in the sense that I think I was still trying to figure out who I was and still working through some of my own challenges. And so, um, coming back was, was, it was a big step and there was still like a lot of work that I was doing when I was back. Yeah. And I think I, whether this is real or like my own projection of my own fears, I felt like there were a lot of people who were still working there, like mainly in the office that knew me when Mm. I was and knew my past struggles. Mm. And sometimes I felt like people were like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, You know what I mean? Like I felt supported, (laughs) but I don't know. I also felt that, which, you know, maybe for good reason, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. And I had challenges coming back, um, quite a few challenges, like stepping up into the role of being a staff and also challenges with some of the people at Anasazi. And that's played like a huge role in where I am today too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that I did it. And now Mm -hmm. I've been here on and off for almost the past six years doing this. And it's led me to 
decide to go back to school and finish a four-year degree in psych and women's studies, it opened my eyes to the fact that I really like working with um, populations that have been affected either like primarily or secondarily by domestic assault or, Mm. um, or sorry, domestic violence or sexual assault. Um, and then ultimately has led me into wanting to be a social worker and continue Mm. finding ways, you know, maybe not in wilderness therapy, but just in general to get people into the outdoors and like Mm. just help them realize that it's a safe space and Mm. help them feel empowered and confident and being outside and then letting like the nature do its own (laughs) How would you, um, how would you instruct someone to say like, you know, your mm-hmm. average human being who's like, I want to experience this feeling that you're describing of like feeling safe outside, you know, like maybe what, what are some like, I don't know, practical things maybe that come to mind if anything of like what would you do let's say you're going camping by yourself or something like that i don't know are there things that you would do to prep or little things you do in your camp or Mm -hmm. i don't know things you bring i don't know yeah. If you're comfortable sharing yeah. or can think of anything. <laughs> I I mean, this isn't to like... make it a, feel safe, like we're talking about. Yeah. In I, all the ways. I don't think this is like... I mean, it's obviously not a physical item, but like, I feel like I've realized with almost everything in the outdoor... Not everything, but a lot of things, like just lean in to the mm. discomfort because I feel like nothing is really as scary as what you're building it up to be. Mm. Like there are definitely some scary things. Like I had a grizzly bear encounter when I was in college and I had been terrified of it, of it, of that experience. And then I experienced it. And although I was still scared, I was like, okay, I've been through it once. I know Mm. what to do now. I can handle it if it happens again, you know? Um, like, as a woman, fear mm-hmm. of being out there alone, yeah. like at, for work, I'm out alone all the time by myself. And like, that's a very real fear for me. Yeah. And I think like leaning into the discomfort and being like, okay, I'm in this situation or I'm going to put myself in this situation of being out here alone and I'm going to do what I can. Like I carry two cans of bear spray and a mm-hmm. machete and that I sleep with and I lock, you know, like. I make sure that I'm, if I'm like in my car, I lock my car. If I'm outside, I make sure that I have those things near me. Mm. Um, And after a while, like, although I haven't had like any super scary encounters, I'm just like not so afraid anymore. Mm. But I think that like with a lot of things like being outside, like even like hiking alone or um, you're afraid of weather or you're afraid of bugs I'm afraid of bugs. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of at, like, honestly, this question was a little bit for me because I, <laughs> I do, I don't camp alone a lot, but I do sometimes. And sometimes I feel kind of scared and sometimes I don't, and I don't know what it is, but I'm yeah. like afraid of like centipedes and yeah, scorpions S- and The stuff. centipedes are the yeah. scariest. It's the scariest, for real. <laughs> the two scariest things in nature for me 
at least that I've encountered, is thunder and lightning. Oh. And centipedes. Yeah. I would agree with that. <laughs> I would. The, the lightning. Lightning really scares me. What part about, like, what it, what it is in your brain? Like, what? I mean, I'm glad we're going on this topic. Thank you for therapizing me. <laughs> um, there's something there's something there that I need to learn about myself. Dan Rosenberg, who has an episode on this podcast, if you, if you don't know him. It's great. Um, amazing guy. He, I was working on the trail at Anasazi with him about a month ago, and he was asking me about what's my connection to the name Thunder. Because I, you know, mm-hmm. the thing of the, in the intro to this podcast, I'm like, your host, Ford Thunder Erickson. And I have a YouTube channel, Ford Thunder Erickson, and blah, blah. My favorite basketball team is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, we have trail names, Anasazi, and my trail name I use the most, and my first name is Dancing Thunder Raven. And they didn't know anything about my other names. On my college diploma, the word thunder is on it. But it's not my real name. And I just started going by it as a joke. Mm. All these things. This is a huge tangent. Anyway, and so he was asking, like, why is that? And then he was really fascinated. And Dan's a very, like, wise kind of spiritual Mm. guy. So I really respect his knowledge. And he was asking me, what what is that? And he thought those were all kind of went together. But it was all separate things. Mm -hmm. All of them. Even my favorite basketball team. It's... Anyway, this is a huge Random. tangent. No, this is going I'm a totally enjoying, different direction than I thought. I'm this. No, I'm <laughs> keep going. And, and then I told him, no, they're all separate. And he's like, this means something. <laughs> the cat is like staring up at the ceiling in a trance. Anyway, that was interesting. <laughs> but So Dan was telling me. Yeah, the, this mean, the, like this means something, your connection to thunder. And then I told him, like, I'm actually terrified of thunder. Mm-hmm. It scares me just as much or more than anything else in nature. And he was like, you need to look into that. Like, there's something there. And I don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's a really loud noise mm-hmm. that is, like, kind of unpredictable. And it's just, it's like the most powerful thing, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. You don't hear things like that. Like, it's like the voice of God, you know, just this booming thing. And then I also know, like, that's the sound of lightning, Mm -hmm. you know, and lightning scares me because you can't predict it. And there's not much you can do. Like, obviously, don't be on a mountain peak when storms coming in, you know, these kind of things. But if you're out there, like, you just have to pray and you don't. Like, if there's, like, an animal encounters, there's things you can do to kind of, like, you know, prevent it or interact with the Mm -hmm. situation. But lightning is just, like, I have an episode on here that I think I titled, like, the scariest experience of my adulthood. And it was when I was camping by myself in the Uinta Mountains in a thunderstorm. And it was just lightning all around. And Um, I thought I was going to die. I felt like I was in a foxhole in World War II or something. Yeah. Anyway, I can't even remember... We were talking about how to, like, prepare. Oh, yeah, how to feel safe. <laughs> how to feel safe. I, I don't know. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, yeah, and I'm scared of bugs. I'm scared of centipedes and stuff like that. I'm scared to sleep on the ground when I know there's lots of creepy crawlies yeah. around. Yeah. I, I feel know. like I don't have much wisdom in it other than, like, I don't know. I feel like there are inherently hmm. scary things about being outside, you know? Yeah. But and I, I need don't to lean into that somehow. And so I'm like, I need to go 
sleep out on the floor of the Sonoran Desert in creepy well, crawly season. But maybe that's just not smart. Yeah. I don't know. Where's that line, I guess, between like leaning into it and then also just doing something really dumb. Yeah, like calculated risk. You like know? I'm afraid of lightning, so I need to go climb the Grand Teton <laughs> in a thunderstorm no. and stay up there. <laughs> maybe like educate yourself as best as possible so that you feel mm. like you have all of the tools that mm. you would need, you know, yeah, like, like being that. like, okay, I'm going to take a safety class about outdoor adventures and weather, or mm. I'm going to research, um, you know, what do I do if I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm and there's nowhere for me to go, you mm. know? And like, equipping yourself with all of the the mental tools yeah. or the actual tools to protect yourself from things like you know like if you're out camping in a thunderstorm the best thing you can do is get lower right yeah. like mm-hmm. if there's a little ravine go into the ravine try not to be around a huge tall tree that could fall on your head or like yeah. equipping yourselves with those tools and mm-hmm. then making smart decisions and then also just leaning in and and starting the process of acceptance that like I love to be outside or I want to love to be outside and this yeah. is a part of it. Mm. You know, this is a part of it, but I'm going to equip myself with all of the uh, t- tools yeah. that I might need and make smart decisions. Mm. I don't know. No, I think you're right. I get you're absolutely I'm, right. But like the centipede thing, I'm with you. Like w- one time I was up in the middle of the night. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was in June. And it was probably like 1.30 in the morning. Uh-huh. And I'm laying. Uh-huh. It's raining. And I'm sleeping next to one of my friends. I mean, on the other side of a tree from one of my friends, Rachel. And... um and anyways, I was awake and I was writing in my journal. Stella, she's hungry. Mm. It's dinner time. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> but um, Stella's the dog. Uh, and all of the sudden, I, I have my headlamp on. And all of the sudden, I see something moving out of the uh, corner of my eye. Uh, and it was a centipede. Uh, like, I don't know. What is that? Five inches, maybe? And these are six inches Arizona centipedes. Like it's oh. not just like all centipedes are kind of like kind of alien sci-fi uh-huh. horror movie sort of, but the Arizona like desert centipedes, they're huge, huge. And like cl- this one was one of the clear ones or oh, like the clear ones. Yeah. Oh my God. Like an it, alien creature. I think it was trying to get out of the rain because my shelter was oh, yeah. like dry underneath and it was like coming in. Oh. Well, and earlier in the day I had, and I shouldn't have done this. This was like a bad call on my part, but I was clearing out my shelter and, or I was clearing out a space on the ground to make a shelter. And I picked up a rock and there was a baby centipede under it. Mm-hmm. And I was like trying to pick it up and I could not pick it up. I was like trying to like pick it up and move it yeah. to get it away. And it, I could not get it. And so I was like, I'm just going to kill it. Oh. I'm going to kill it. So I killed it. And then 1.30 a.m., this huge centipede. And I kept, like, 
throwing it away with a stick or like Mm -hmm. brushing it away with my journal and it would just come back. It was like a vengeance coming for me. And so I had my knife (laughs) and I just stabbed it like 26 (laughs) times. Seriously. I was like terrified. And then I moved it. And about an hour later, I went to wake up my coworker for his night shift. And I told him about my story and he was like, you know that it's like bees or like ants or something. When you kill them, they release a pheromone or something like that where they come back. I have no idea if this is true. Don't take this as like, don't take this as like knowledge. He told me that and I had no reason not to believe him in that moment. I think maybe he was trying to scare me Mm -hmm. and the rest of that night was maybe one of the most fearful nights I ever had. I like closed my sleeping bag up to where there was like a penny sized (laughs) hole. And Uh, I was convinced that like a whole colony of them we're going to like come to me. Oh man. In genuine fear. Oh yeah. Like, like genuine fear. Like I was like blocking the tiny <laughs> hole half the time being <laughs> yes. like, they're coming in. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. I've been there. I can just picture like that horror movie moment with like the rain falling down and you have your knife just like maniacally like <gasps> yeah. stabbing it. Cause I've had to stab those before, which I, I don't like killing creatures, no. you know, but those they're very they're kind of dangerous actually, you yeah. know, outside of them just being really kind of creepy and scary. They're, they're kind of they're pretty dangerous actually. Yeah. And so sometimes to feel safe, you got to do what you got to do, but I've stabbed them before and you do have to stab them like 26 times. Oh, like yeah. they don't die easily. Like <laughs> I chopped one in half and both ends were running around and you can't tell which one's the head. Yeah. They're both running around. It was terrible. We don't condone killing creatures no. unnecessarily, but you know, sometimes we've all been there. Yeah. You know, anyway, I can't remember if, uh, my, that's a huge tangent. I can't remember. Did you, did you, Answer the question originally, like twenty minutes ago, or I think it was like, so. "What do you do to stay safe?" Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, you were answering yeah, you that. Did. And In then the I was best asking. Way. Yeah. I don't actually know. Like, I feel like I'm not like obviously but, like don't know all the wisdom, but like, it, like it. That's at least what I try and do is uh, like make smart decisions, educate myself, mm-hmm. and like know where I am and where I'm going. Lean into it and lean into I like it. That. That's what I gained. I like that a lot. Um, I have a, another humdinger for you. Oh, is this what you were saying? You were yeah, yeah, about? yeah. Okay. Uh, that's a question I thought of on earlier today, and I'd be really interested. Mm-hmm. Are there any animals or plants or aspects of nature that you feel particularly like a kinship to? Like, mm-hmm. you know, whether that be kind of like people talk about a spirit animal or a spirit plant or a spirit thing, or, you know, you don't mm-hmm. kind of know what I mean. Some kind of like connection. You're like, yeah, man, like I, I resonate with this thing because of blah, blah, blah. Or I had this experience with this thing or it's this thing. If I was an animal, I feel like I'd be this animal or, you know, mm. does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I would just be curious what, what you would say. And there might be a lot of answers. I don't know. So you don't have to give like the most yeah. amazing answer right now. But. I feel like there are like so many different ways. <laughs> oh my God. I'm the worst. There are so many different, um, my side hustle. <laughs> but 
I think there are a lot of different ways that I could answer this question, but it's funny that you asked this because recently I was in the field spending a lot of time alone and the mind goes in some bizarre places, but Mm. I started thinking about cows Oh, and I've always felt a connection to cows and partially like Mm. I I had, we had cows growing up and I don't know. I've always liked them. I think they're really cute. They are. Um, but they're also can be very terrifying. Like coming Mm. across a big bull bull is like, yeah, really scary. But I started, I, I was feeling this really weird connection with them. Like I, I don't know. I felt like a, a draw to them mm-hmm. um, as I'm watching like the cowboys ride by and like herding the cattle out in the national forest to like yeah. get them back and started to think about um, how simplistic their life is. What well, It's complex, but like as far as like what they do on a daily basis, like, yeah. and this is like a lot of animals as well, but primary focus, like eating, mm. sleeping, Pooping, you know, the basics. Yeah. And like realize that maybe like that's where I could benefit from like directing my current life to like the Mm. direction I'd like to just like simplify and lean in to um, not always having to have something to do Mm. and not having to like be busy or be like things to be complicated and all of that, just like allowing myself to take care of myself and do what feels good and nourish my body in whatever way that that is. And that that's like a very, that is a like fulfilling and successful life as well. Mm, I love that so much. And cows, I feel like just embody that for me. (laughs) Like, I feel like people will be like, oh, cows are lazy or like whatever, but maybe they just have it right. Yeah. Maybe they, yeah. Maybe we're the ones being fools. Yeah. You know, probably in a lot of ways. But I was thinking about that like a a Mm. couple of weeks ago. I love that. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about that recently too. We have in my house in Salt Lake, because since winter came, it's been snowing. A lot of the animals kind of come down out of the foothills. And we see them in our yards and stuff. And so mm-hmm. we've been having a lot of mule deer in our yard. Oh. And it's really great. I'll just go out there to feed the chickens or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa. And there's like four deer back there. And I just love watching them because I love what you said. Like, at least at least in this day and age as humans, and I can only speak for myself, but you just kind of referenced it. We have so many things like what we do is so complicated mm-hmm. on a day to day, all the things we're worrying about and trying to do so complicated and it's not necessarily all bad, but I think there is a lot we can learn from animals. Cause I was watching the deer and yeah, they're just like laying on the grass and maybe one of them will stand up and then kind of like chew on a plant <laughs> for a second. And they're just kind of, they're just sitting there. They're not eating. They're not mm-hmm. sleeping. Their heads are all up. And they're just, they're just there. Enjoying. Yeah. Being. And I wonder like, what are they thinking about? It's like almost incomprehensible to our modern brain. Be like, how could you just sit there? You should be like, okay, we need to like find where the next place is that will be safe from the predators and, Mm -hmm. and find the best food. Ah, The food here is okay, but maybe there's better food, a few lawns over to the Mm -hmm. side, you know, and then maybe we can (laughs) spread out and then come back together and report 
you know, and then, you know. Yeah. But the deer are just, they're like, well, we're just here right now. Yeah. Kind of like the cows you're referencing. And I was just watching them and I was like, wow, I could learn a lot from these guys. Yeah. You know, I don't know. One time I was in Idaho and I was camping by myself next to this river. And this, on the other side of this river, this moose came out of all the willows. And I was like, oh, wow, a moose, you know, moose are super cool. And so I was just watching the moose (laughs) and the moose just came over like to the edge of the river and just stood there. And it was just like, just standing there, just looking Mm -hmm. for, I swear it was like over 10 minutes. It didn't move. (laughs) It was just standing there. And I remember I was like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. It's just what is it? Is it was it thinking or is it just like I need to turn off for a second and just be here? It's just it, it's incomprehensible to my brain. Yeah, you just stand in there, and maybe just the way that we are right mm. now, like where I don't know, I can't speak for like other places, but at least it feels like in the like you know, society that we live in, mm. you, you're always supposed to be doing so. Mm-hmm. Even the idea that just like standing there is turning off, mm-hmm. like maybe he's turning on, you know, well, <laughs> not, <laughs> you, know you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean like that. he's connecting and like a very deep yeah. level to like whatever he's doing. Mm. And sometimes like, I don't know, sometimes just sitting there and thinking and mm. connecting I don't know. And I think that's kind of going full circle a little bit. My experience in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. and I think that's part of the reason why wilderness therapy works, is because you do slow down. Yeah. Like, we're still humans and, you know, a lot of things going on, but you just, you go to bed when it gets dark, it might be like 6 p.m. And you're like, oh, I'm starting to get sleepy. Mm -hmm. And things just kind of slow down. You start living in this rhythm and... I find myself doing things like that way more often where mm-hmm. I'll just go down to the creek and I'm like, oh, this is a nice creek. Yeah. And I'll just kind of stand there for a minute. Like, oh, it's nice down here. And then maybe I'll be like, well, I got to get back to camp or whatever. Yeah. But I've had moments where I'll just go and just stand there for a long time, kind of like the moose and the cows. Mm-hmm. And it's good for my brain. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. Something about being outside does kind of just calm you down a little bit. Yeah. Once you feel safe. Once you feel safe. <laughs> and how and when you're going to feel safe. You yeah. Know? You may never know. But... Never know. You got to lean into it. Lean into it. Um, well, to wrap it up, Lauren Lala, what is it? Egbert? Bed- your... Bedford. Bedford. Egbert. Be- Egbert. <laughs> Bedford Peterson, the fourth. Um, is there... Are there any, anything else you would like to share? Anything that comes to mind, whether it be an experience, no pressure if there isn't anything. I don't want you to feel like you need to change the world right now. But is there any experience or, I don't know, a little nugget of something that you feel like you've gained that you would like to share in this moment? Um, And you can think about it for a second if you want. Yeah. I don't the thought that keeps coming to mind, which I think is like one of the greatest things that I've like, ex- I think one of the greatest takeaways that from going to wilderness therapy, from working in wilderness therapy and from just like being in the wilderness 
um, even like in this house that we're sitting in, I've chosen to live mm. in the national forest and like be, yeah. I think like one of the greatest things that I've learned and like why I feel safe in that environment and why I enjoy um, getting outside is that there's like no expectations of like who or what you should be or like need to be, mm. you know, like no matter where you're at, you can just like go and be accepted mm. and um, like there's not pressure. I mean, I guess there is pressure. And now that I'm saying this, I'm like, you know, sometimes <laughs> I go outside and I'm like biking or something and I'm like, Ugh, these people they are going so fast past me <laughs> and like whatever. But yeah. like, I just think, um, I don't know. Sometimes I have to remind myself to just do it. And mm. then I feel good. Mm. And just like getting out, yeah. out there. Whether you're like afraid or like Mm -hmm. feeling self-conscious or like you're like a little tired or you feel like maybe someone's better than you. It's like there's always going to be something, you Mm -hmm. know, that can prevent you from like doing it. Yeah. But, and we aren't all given the opportunity that's like, hey, you are being admitted into a wilderness therapy program (laughs) and you have to be out there. Yeah. But just like starting with what's comfortable and like doing it. Mm. I don't know. I love that. Very wise. (laughs) Sometimes I think about it. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm so outdoorsy. Oh yeah. I have this outdoorsy podcast. I've gone camping before, (laughs) but then I think about it when I'm like living at my house in the city and I'm like, you know what? I actually don't go outdoors very much. I'm kind of on my computer most of the time. And then, uh, you know, just sleeping inside. Maybe I'll go run. But for the most part, I'm just inside all the time. But I need to force myself to go out there, and I'm always glad I do. Yeah. So. And I feel like you can get in a rut of, like, not doing it. And then mm-hmm. once you, like, force yourself to do it, you're like, I remember why I love this. Yeah. Now I shall do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until I stop doing it again. And mm-hmm. then it's like a cycle. But Yeah. Well, that's great wisdom. Well, Lauren Bedford... Lala Peterson, the 12th. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on here. Oh, wait. Can we eat a biscuit live on the yeah. podcast? Or at least a bite. If yes. I feel like I've never <laughs> made these before, so they could be really bad. Well, it doesn't matter. It just matters what they sound like. <laughs> All right. We're cutting the biscuits. Oh, wow. Wow. Can you hear anything? Yeah, I can hear it. Can you hear the sound? Oh, wow. It looks unbelievable. Does wow. I think it does. Well, Ford, do be my guest. Me? Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Just take a bite anywhere, yeah. huh? Okay, here it is. It's really good. Is it tasty? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stella's like eating. This bite is by Caitlin Thane. <laughs> We're spilling biscuit all over the floor. It's okay. It is really good. I'll do a crunchy one. 
Oh, this is great. Comes full circle. Throughout this whole episode, there was a complete batch of homemade biscuits made. So amazing. Thank you so much, Lauren La La Bedford Peterson. Biscuits and chili. Mmm. So great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, see you guys later. Thanks. For Toodaloo. That was Caitlin. She's been here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs>